Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Matthew Halloran, partner and the voice of Top Advisor Marketing. Matt is an insane podcast host. And since Julie and I are fans of both podcasting and insanity, we couldn't wait to have Matt on. Matt has a really interesting background, including experience as a therapist working with families of the dying in hospice, where there was real urgency in translating medical jargon into conversational language. And we talk about how we can apply those lessons so that you can communicate more effectively and deepen your relationship with clients. We talk about how to make communication through social media more intimate. We discuss the big gap that still exists with advisors in communicating with their clients, the five communication mistakes advisors commonly make, and how you can avoid them and communicate more effectively with clients. Matt tells us about the outrageous offer he made to Ron Carson that got him into financial services in the first place. And listen through to the end, where we talk about how you can talk with clients about referrals without being a schlub. And so without further ado, here's our conversation with Matt Halloran. So Matt Halloran, uh, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And so let me just start out with this. I mean, you know, you're described as an insane podcast host, which, you know, I aspire to be, of course. And so (laughs) how how do you... Well, thank you. I, yeah, I, I knew I could count on you for that, Julie, and I, I appreciate the, the boost. So how do, you, how, how, do you, how do you apply that insanity to, to podcasting, and, and how can you help us be insane in podcasting as well? Well, Kirk Lowe was the person who labeled me as insane, so uh, we should probably look at the person who called me that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think w- what he's referring to and, and why we use that as, as part of our, our marketing and PR is just because this is what I get up for in the morning. Uh, I started doing radio when I was 13 years old at my high school. It was the Madman Matt Halloran show, and then I did... Uh, I was the news director for my college radio station for three years. And so radio has been something that's very near and dear to me. Uh, and just being in front of a microphone has always been very comfortable. So, um, and I think the insanity that Kirk refers to is, is the ability to uh, totally immerse yourself in the guest. That's my goal. Uh, so when I am preparing for a podcast, I'm, uh, you know, doing what I, what, what Stephen, you and I just talked about, you know, you were digging up some stuff on me. You were looking at me online. I'm doing the same thing. You know, if I can find a podcast or a video and how the person talks. Um, but it's also the biggest goal is to be in the moment. Uh, it's, it's nice to have uh, preordained questions, which we all do as, as competent podcast hosts. But it's also super awesome when somebody says something that you really, truly hear and want to have as your uh, another talking point and be able to move to that seamlessly. Yeah. Yep. Well, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree with you. I, I, you know, we, we share that, you know, it, being well-briefed, it you know, makes for a better interview and it's, it, it lets you be in the moment, which, you know, is part of the challenge. And it's a challenge that faced by advisors as well when they meet, when they meet new folks. Now, uh, um, speaking about how, how you talk with people and, and, and how you relate to them, you know, in, in, in that research, you know, one of the, it was, I was fascinated by your background, um, in, in, uh, psychology and in working with the dying and, 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 you know, some of those experiences. And one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me was a quote, uh, of you where you said that, that 
working with the dying helped you understand that people need to hear important information in the language they understand mm -hmm. rather than the language that comes naturally to the practitioner. And so, you know, I, when, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, well, that's obviously stuff that we have to learn. But, but before I ask you that, you know, can you tell us a little bit about some of the experiences that, that helped you understand that? Sure. So uh, I graduated with the two most worthless degrees you can possibly graduate, <laughs> which was uh, communications and philosophy. And uh, my philosophy degree is actually is, is in is in biomedical ethics. And so I got an internship to a hospital system in Omaha, Nebraska to do biomedical ethics. Now, I was under the impression I was going to be teaching biomedical ethics, but that's actually not what happened. Um, I, that's not true. That was part of my job. The other part of my job was to wear a pager. Now, that's how long ago this was. <laughs> <laughs> and every time my pager went off, that meant somebody was dying. And my job was to rush to whatever hospital was on the code of my pager, go to the ICU, the NICU, uh, or, or a hospital room and, uh, be the go-between between physicians, nurses, and then a family. Um, because the physicians were using physician speak and the nurses were using nurses speak. And I had to somehow communicate to a person who's massively traumatized in grief and most of the people 99% of the people who I dealt with as the actual client was not when they were not conscious. So I was just dealing with that person's family. Sure. Um, and then the one time that the person was conscious, totally different story, but, um, you know, it's very, very difficult to explain to somebody that yes, the, you see that your husband, wife, son, daughter is breathing, but we're doing that for them. Let me explain to you how that works. And so, um, uh, the, and so that, that's really what ended up happening in, in, it's all about listening, right? That's the most important thing, not only listening, but in our, in our, um, financial services, it's really about truly understanding the language. And I had to learn doctor language. And then when I moved over to financial services, I had to learn financial services language and, uh, you know, all of the acronyms and all of the buzzwords that we're so comfortable with, the general public has no idea, uh, what you're talking about. And so, trying to make it so that you can communicate more effectively has been a real passion of mine. And, and that's one of the reasons why we podcast guys. Uh, we, when I podcast with our, with our, our podcasting clients who have hired us to do that for them, um, part of my job as the host is to say, hold on, uh, this just happened on a podcast. He talked about the, um, uh, it was, it was, he was referring to, uh, pink sheets or penny stocks, but he, he called them billboard stocks. And I had actually never heard that before, been doing this for a long time. And so I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I've never heard of that before. And that, that made him, oh, Matt, you know what? Yeah, that's what we call it in-house. I was like, aha. And then, you know, I made him explain really what that meant to our listeners. And, and does that, does that yeah, and, and that's, it's, it's interesting because of course we've all had the experience where, you know, a loved one has been sick, thankfully, you know, not, not as extreme as the situations that you were in, but some, somebody is sick. And so you talk with the docs and, um, you know, the, the, the doctor comes out and tells you what's going on and, you know, I mean, I, 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 I fear that a lot of people wouldn't do this, but you know, you, but because I am who I am, I'll say, I don't understand a word of what you just said to me. And we've all had that, that kind of experience. And one of the, one of the things that interests me as I watch advisors practice and, and, and talk with clients and things is that sometimes they don't even realize, you know, we, so many of us have been doing this for so long that we don't, we forget what terms are typical conversational English and which terms are actually jargon. And, and we've forgotten that they're jargon. And, you know, we still use some of those things that we think is translating it for the client when in fact, we're still 
talking in financial speak. So how 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 would you apply some of the that thinking to the financial advisory relationship so that the advisor can always be sure that that their that their client is really grasping what they're saying? Um well the way I the way I present it when I'm speaking is you, you all just need to shut up. And I, that's, that's very, you know, but it's true. Uh, so there's five ways that people can communicate so they can talk at, over, around, through, or with. So part of uh, communications training that I have done for many, many years is to have identify, uh, have the advisor identify which of those five that they lean to the most. So, you know, most advisors actually talk over their clients because they, have an educational inferiority complex that they don't put themselves on pars with physicians and accountants and lawyers, which they are, right? Uh, and they're doing even more important work as far as I'm concerned than a lot of those people. Uh, you know, uh, talking at somebody, that's the old, you know, kind of insurance sales. I'm going to talk to you and say these things because I know that they're going to work and I'm following a script. Um, through is a brutal way to communicate, which I see a lot of male advisors do with, um, Spouses, uh, specifically women, um, they don't seem to allow the the partner in the marriage to have an equal voice. So they talk through them. They just kind of bypass or kind of I'm waving my hand. And I know you can't, that, but that's it. <laughs> Wait till we add video to this uh, podcast. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. yeah we'll have you back. On camera. Uh, so at over around and then around is really um, not answering their questions. Uh, it happens a lot when advisors are confronted about. Uh, performance, right? Um, because they've hinged uh, so much of their client communications based off performance, and then but they don't really want to talk about that. They send out weekly market commentaries that say, you know, well the Dow, you know, the Dow fell a hundred points last week, which is nothing, right? I mean, that's like 0.01 percent. Um, and then the client comes in and is freaking out because the Dow was down a hundred points, and then you have to communicate all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's number one, number two, the three sentence rule, which I think is probably the greatest rule ever. Uh, which is after if you've spoken three sentences of technical information, you need to check for understanding. That's great. So uh, can I, I want to talk to you about those, those uh, issues that you just brought up and some of the different ways we communicate, but can you just fill in a gap for me? And that is how you made this transition because I'm listening to the work that you did and the work that you're doing now. And and I can see the connection, but Mm -hmm. I would love to know what actually caused you to, to pivot to the dark side. (laughs) <laughs> insurance <component>. well, <laughs> uh it's um yeah i would i would be more than happy to explain that um so my wife and i uh worked at a place called boys town so after i left uh biomedical ethics because my wife said you're crying every day <laughs> it goes off you're crying because i knew Career it was a warning sign yeah right yeah, absolutely well and and, and i'm a, i'm a very very strong in my my who I am and I don't care if I cry or not. That's a great way to release a lot of tension. And so, um, I didn't make it very long. Uh, and so we left that. I had a couple other jobs in Omaha, Nebraska, cause Omaha is an amazing place to live. And, uh, then my wife and I worked at a place called boys town. Boys town is where we lived with uh, 36 at risk teenage boys for five years. Uh, we lived in the house with them 24 seven. It was a magnificent life changing experience when we, uh, we had twins there, uh, our boys and that are now 15. Jeez. So we had 10 kids in the house and Boys Town said, look, we know that it's going to be too difficult for you to raise two children at the same time and also help us raise these other eight boys. So we left on a very good note, which was great. And I became a therapist. 
I'm going to try to make this as short as possible. So what ended up happening was I worked in a very small town in Omaha, uh, outside of Omaha, Nebraska called Fremont, Nebraska. And I worked with adults with severe and persistent mental illness. I worked with adults with uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, uh, what used to be known as bipolar, uh, 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 multiple personality disorder, which is they changed the name uh, and a couple of other more severe things that are lesser known. And uh, in one week I had, uh, um, and this is going to sound really depressing. You you can edit this out if you want, guys. But <laughs> I had a mother. I had a mother who committed suicide right in front of her son, and they were both clients of mine. Um, I had uh, three kids go to jail, and two of my older adults with schizophrenia, um, their kidneys gave out because the medicine that they're on is so hard for your body to process that they just died. Ugh. And uh, once again, crying on the way home, and my wife said, "Look, you know, how much longer can you do this?" And I said, "I don't know." So I went to my, uh, so I have my degree, uh, my master's degree as a therapist and a life coach. And so I typed in life coach in what used to be known as careerbuilder.com, which I don't even know if this is around anymore. And two things came up. One was a franchise, which was actually, um, I had to pay $250,000 to become a Vistage coach, which is what it was. And then the second one was Ron Carson's Peak Coaching Company. And I went through eight rounds of interviews. They all, every time they said no because I had no financial services. <laughs> and I said, look, all I want is 15 minutes with Ron Carson. Now, at the time, I had no idea who Ron Carson was, right? And um, and for some gift, they gave me 15 minutes with Ron. And so I went and bought the most expensive suit I could possibly afford at the time and drove to their office. And I walked in to Ron's famed circular table. Now, for those people who listen to us who know, this is all like historical crap here. So, you know, Ron's got this very specific table that he uses meeting with clients and uh, we've done all sorts of research on it. And so did he. I mean, the guy's amazing. And um, and so he looked at me, he said, why should I hire you? And I said, here's here's the deal. You can pay me half of what you pay everybody else. And I guarantee you within six months, I'll be your best coach because I can coach anybody on anything at any time. And if you guys know Ron, which Julie, I know that you had done some stuff with him because we yeah. spoke at our conference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was impressed by that, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, for the first for the first, first six months, I I was literally paid half of what everybody else was paid, um, and then after that, I uh, started speaking with him all over the country and became one of his top coaches, and uh, he was my mentor for a really long time. So that that's how I made the transition into financial service. Wow. That's, that's I apologize. Awesome. No, that's great. Right. That's awesome. I was expecting a, like a slower kind of <laughs> transition in there, but no, no, there's right to it. That That is awesome. But uh, I, I took you off course a little there because you mentioned the five different ways we communicate and the, the, the sentences that are so important. Um, do you find, or is there a way for us uh, to assess how we communicate? Because I know we're not always as self-aware as we would otherwise like to be. So how do you help advisors to understand that communication style? Julie, it's role-playing. And, and it's so funny how few people use that as a vital training tool anymore. Um, when I ask, so when I was running my coaching and consulting business, one of the things I would do is I would go and spend a day and a half to two days at the advisor's office to do an in-depth um, practice management analysis. And uh, part of it would be, okay, look, I'm a client. I'm walking in. Uh, you're going to walk me through the everything from greeting me at the door to walking me to the room to talking to me about your services. And then I'm going to ask you questions and those sorts of things. And I would be able to identify very quickly which one of those five mistakes that they were making. And the problem is, is they switch back and forth. Um, and then I would explain to them 
okay, so right now you're talking at me, what, and here's how you overcome at, and here's what you're, you're talking over me, which again is the most common one. I need you to dumb this down about 10 steps. So we would do that in person and advisors would say to me, Julie, all the time, why hasn't anybody talked to me about this? You know, I've been, you, you're telling me, Matt, that I've been making those mistakes for the last 20 years. I'm like, yeah, sorry, dude. Yeah. You've been making yeah. mistakes. You know, I, that's, it's fascinating because you're absolutely right. Role play is, I, I forget who was it. I don't know if it was, um, um, Cheryl, um, oh, from Abacus in South Carolina. Um, Garrett? No. Um, Holland, Cheryl Holland. Uh, or, uh, or uh, anyway, but I was, I was listening to a presentation and, and, and this, you know, was, was so true. They, they said what, what they, what they want role-playing is what they need the most and are most resistant mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Uh, and I find that all the time. And just like you're saying, you know, going through it as a role-playing exercise can be, can be so hugely helpful. And, and, you know, in terms of the, 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 uh, the jargon thing, you don't even necessarily need to do it with, with a coach, although doing it somebody like with, with a coach would be better, but you could do it with a spouse or a friend who's not in the financial business or something like that. How, how else can people find some of those communication mistakes that they're making? Again, it, it's really practice. You should find somebody who understands communication. Uh, in, in fact, Julie, I remember, God, this was probably 10 years ago, if not longer. Um, mm. one of the things that you had presented about the surveys that you were doing, uh, was, was it, it allowed you to listen to your clients in a different way. Cause it put things, it framed it differently, right? Am I paraphrasing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you were wildly successful with that. And I remember my advisors using it like, Oh my God, I can't believe how is she able to glean this information? I'm like, because she's listening and they're like, <laughs> not here. I'm like, I know she's not here, but she's writing the questions to be able to hear the answer. So all of it really hinges on listening guys. And, and that's really nothing else matters. If you can't listen, um, listening is a skill that needs to be practiced. Um, you have to listen to listen, not listen to respond. And we have been taught in this industry, uh, in, since all three of us have owned our own businesses and we are basically the primary salespeople of our services, we know that there's a lot of times that we listen to respond because we know we have to overcome an objection to make a sale, right? That's, that's all of our lives as entrepreneurs. But I have found that if you listen to listen and you give people the space to communicate, all of that goes away. So, so let's, let's, um, turn that around to, um, think about what you're do what you're doing more now, which is social media and podcasting and those kinds of things. So how, 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 how can you utilize those principles in the realm of doing things like social media marketing? Social media is the greatest listening tool that has ever been existed of all times. I mean, when, you know, in the 1950s, everybody was terrified of big brother. Uh, and then big brother came out and everybody embraced it, hugged it and put everything they want in the world on it. Uh, which would be social media, right? Um, you know, if, if I'm going to meet with a client, uh, which most advisors don't do this, they don't go on their Facebook page, type the client's name in and see what happened in their life. Mm. Uh, I've had advisors say, Matt, well, that's spooky. Okay, it's spooky to you, uh, but you're weird. And it's not spooky to the rest of the world. <laughs> um, so that's, so my team, so I have uh, three women who all have their master's degree in digital journalism and communications who work with us and our social media program. And so they're journalists, right? So their background is digital communication and journalism. And so part of what we do for our clients is listen. 
which gives us great opportunities to create more tailored, customized content for our clients. Um, and we also listen to what they post. And I have a wonderful story. Uh, one of our clients, uh, who's a financial advisor in New Jersey, uh, he's an, he's gotten to the point in our podcasting where he's starting to gain control of the podcast, which is our, our goal. Uh, we do all of the post-production and pre-production and all of that stuff for him. Um, but he interviews guests and he just had one that was a nonprofit organization for a young boy who had died. Um, and, uh, oh, just a beautiful podcast, just super emotionally charged. Right. And so that gave my team a great opportunity to show another side of this client. But what happened was when we started listening to the feedback that came back, uh, his name's Larry, Larry decided that, that he's going to start interviewing more and more nonprofits because it's drawing the correct attention to who he is and what makes him different. Um, but he can't do that unless he's listening to the responses. And, and we do that for our clients because, you know, I mean, everybody's busy, right? But um, social media is the greatest tool. Anytime you have a client, anytime you have a prospect, if you have a hot 100 list of prospects that you want to try to call, um, get on social media, look on LinkedIn, find out what they're posting, find out who uh, they're retweeting, find out who they're reposting their stuff on LinkedIn. I mean, both of you, uh, you know, are, are, are always posting stuff on social media. And, and sometimes you're tagging people in that social media and that creates a great conversation. Find out what people are doing. And then when they sit down say, you know, Hey, Steven, here's the deal. I saw today for the first time and I didn't realize this, and I'm so sorry that, you know, you're a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. I don't know where that came from, dude, but, um, <laughs> you know, and then, and that starts off a totally different conversation about life which is really what our advisors are supposed to talk about. And, 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 and it, I, it, go ahead. It, I'm sorry, Julie. No, I was just going to say, do, I mean, do you find <clears> that, um, because to me, the way you describe that is, is, uh, is a wonderful way to think about social media. And I wonder if, if a lot of advisors don't see it that way because they see it more as a broadcast tool rather than a listening tool. Do you find that? That so that's talking at, right? So yeah. that's one of the, uh, faux pas that that advisors are doing. Uh, they're they're just broadcasting information out, hoping that it's it's like the I, I talk about this in my speeches. Um, you know, Crazy Larry's used cars. You guys remember that? Uh, every commercial break, Crazy Larry would come on and tell <laughs> you about his great deals. That's not marketing anymore. That's not how we can do it. It's got to be communicative. It's got to be a two way street. And in fact, some of the greatest. Um, communication success stories have been with negative feedback. And I highly recommend that your listeners uh, type that in with negative feedback on social media and find out who is really kicking butt. Wendy's has done a magnificent job. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there have been a couple of other organizations. Uh, Zappos does a great job uh, of when somebody isn't happy with their services and they post a negative review. Uh, how they handle it is brilliant. And in fact, I started doing business with an online shoe company because of how impressed I was with how they handled listening to a negative complaint. That's interesting. So what, what, when you get down to talking to advisors about all of these opportunities using social media podcasting, what are you recommending for advisors today to, to, get, to get the word out to start those kinds of conversations? Well, first off, don't do it yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, you'd, you'd have to hire, you know, at least a, a full-time employee who has financial services experience, who understands and navigates not only compliance, but the different levels of compliance across LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, the social mores and folkways on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, most advisors don't write. Um, we have a, a fun presentation that we do 
uh, talks about you can either be a writer, a uh, radio personality or a movie star. Choose because you have to. Right. Um, you have to be able to communicate to your clients. So, I mean, this is a shameless promotion, Julie. I don't know if you set me up for this, but I'm sure it's not going to take. Absolutely um, not. This is why you, yeah, this is, yeah, <laughs> this is why you hire <laughs> Um it's all and, totally spontaneous. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But but uh, with all of that aside, we actually have a whole bunch of free resources that you can use that will tell you how to do everything that we can do for you. Um, like to start your own financial podcast, we think that that's the most effective way for advisors to get their thought leadership out because they talk for a living. It seems to be a no-brainer. We, we weren't really quite sure why nobody else did it, so we jumped on it. And then by just taking that podcast and throwing it into a, um, a transcription service, which could be you know anything like... Um, mobile assistant or um, God, there was one that my advisors supposed to use all the time. Like rev.com. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, or Trent is another really good one. And then you just take what you have already said and then you hack it up in little pieces, you submit it to compliance and there's all of your social media posts. Oh, that's brilliant. That's great. No, so that's and, and, together, right. That, that's how we do our job. Well, so. and we, we will, we will definitely put a link to, um, to that, to your site and to that library in the show notes. Cause I, I think that would be hugely beneficial for the listeners. Yeah. We we've given away more. In fact, when Kirk and I got together, I actually, this is my year anniversary with, uh, when, when Kirk and I merged, um, and, uh, our goal was to give away every detail of everything we've done for free so that you can do it yourself. And we, I, I'm very proud to say that we've done a very good job with that. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Well, thank you. And so, um, how does this, so one of the things that we talk about a lot here, and I think one of the things that, that you've, you've spoken about, um, periodically over time is the whole idea of niche. Um, how does that concept play into, um, some of these ideas about social media? Well, it's the most effective way to prospect on social media, especially when it comes to directed social media posts. So, um, when I, when I had top advisor coaching, my ideal target market was a, a female CFP who was totally independent, who produced over $800,000 of GDC, but three to five employees working for them, and also who fully believed in full-blown financial planning, right? So that was my niche. When I tell that to people, they're like, well, how many people are in that niche? And I was like, well, enough to run a really successful coaching business for a long time. <laughs> but it also allowed me to communicate directly to that market. So um, so the gentleman who I was just referring to, Larry, his major focus as a financial advisor is to work with nonprofits. And so all of his social media, his podcasts now are starting to focus more speaking directly to nonprofits. Um, the best way to find out your niche, though, is to look in your book of business and find out, you know, who are your favorite clients and what did they do for a living? Um, and niche marketing is especially because how broad marketing can be using the Internet. If you don't have a laser focus, you're, you're going to spend a lot of money and not get a lot of results. And so you started, so that, that, that begins an interesting conversation. If let, let's say that, and, and I agree that most advisors, when they actually start looking at, at their client base, <clears throat> will find themes that they may not have seen before. But if they look at their client base and, and, and a target market doesn't really jump right out at them, what, what, what are some of the next couple of things they might do to try to figure out who to direct all these messages to? Well, my favorite question to ask is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, and it's so funny how advisors will say, well, Matt, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a pilot. All right. Guess what? 
Let's have your target market be a pilot. Why don't you surround yourself with people who, when you talk about what they do for a living, you have the passion of the same passion you did when you were a child. Um, that's one of my absolute favorite exercises to, to go through. Now, you know, not everybody's going to work with firemen or nurses or doctors or things like that, but it at least gets that conversation rolling. And then I ask them about their hobbies. So that that's the secondary thing. So, you know, what is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Uh, well, you know, Matt, I, I love golf or whatever. Okay, well, who do you play golf with? Because a lot of them don't play golf with their clients. And then that opens up some more, you know, when, when you're driving around in the golf cart, who's sitting next to you and what does that person look like? Oh, you know, whether well, a small business owner, just like me. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. It's, a, it's an important point you raise. I, so often I've been chatting with advisors who, who look at their top clients and don't necessarily see the niche that they want to focus on. And it's an uncomfortable situation because the reality is you may not have your ideal client in your top clients. And, and it's a, it's an important uh, thought process to go through, but, but I love this idea of just getting back to what you're passionate about. Yeah, that's, that, it's a, it's a great point. And um, <clears throat> I think that's something that, that, that's missing. And when, you know, when, when a lot of people talk about target marketing is, is they look at the business opportunity, but they don't talk about the passion and, and that, that's such a huge part of it. And so Matt, are there uh, different ways that you can incorporate that passion into your media strategy? Um, yeah. Uh, joining groups. Um, you know, LinkedIn is famous for for their networking groups. Um, um, community pages, social pages, especially when it comes to, to Facebook is a great way for you to start embedding yourself within that community. Um, and then on Twitter, it, hashtags are the key or Instagram. And so if you are very, very passionate about like um, I do... Um, recycled metal art. I weld um, pieces of art out of junk. That's my hobby. And uh, so on Instagram, I'm specifically always looking for people who uh, who do recycled art uh, or metal art. And so I follow them, I chat with them. You know, and if I was an advisor, surprisingly enough, a lot of the people who do metal art do it like me and they're business owners and it's just a release. And what a great way to prospect. And we can prospect all over the world now. I mean, goodness gracious. So Julie, where did you move to or where are you out of right now? We moved just outside Toronto. Toronto, okay. And and Stephen, where are you? Rochester, New York. Right. And I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And it sounds like we're in the same room. So mm-hmm. I just don't understand why people. Yes, you have to get licensed in other states and blah blah blah. I understand that. Um, but man, wouldn't you rather look at a person on a screen who shares the same passions that you do than have somebody come in that you absolutely loathe who has ten million dollars with you, and every time they come in, you you know you have a pit in your stomach, and the, your whole team hates that person. It's, it's, it, you know, it's a fascinating point because, you know, we're so many, we're all still so hung up on the idea that, um, that personal service me- has to mean in-person service. And you're, you're absolutely right. I, in fact, I think there's a whole separate podcast mm-hmm. that we could all do about, um, how to do an effective electronic engagement or an effective virtual engagement, because it's, it's, it, it's so different than what I see advisors actually doing when they try to connect with their clients virtually but that's that's a little off topic from this particular interview yeah i was wondering um, if we could i mean as you're talking matt i can see the connections with referrals and and especially if you're talking about groups and whatnot but maybe we could just connect the dots a little more specifically with the the strategies that you're talking about the strategies that you're recommending for advisors in terms of communicating with their existing clients and how that might translate into more referrals wonderful um, 
most people don't have their friends locked down on social media. So uh, what I recommend that people do, so here, here is the, the easiest, most simple way to ask for a referral without coming across as a schlub, um, which is before that client comes in, if that client is connected with you on social media, now there is an if there, if they're connected with you on social media, or if you can access their social media, see who has been the person who has liked or commented on the majority of their posts in the last week. And then when that person comes in, you can say, especially if you're connected with them on social media, man, you must be really great friends with John Smith and Jane Smith. Oh my God, they're like our favorite people in the world. You know, would they be a good person for to get a free consultation? Would, I would love to volunteer a little bit of my time to just, you know, take a look at their stuff. So that they don't, you don't have to say, who do you know? Right. And in fact, Stephen and I were talking about this when, when I saw him at, at, at SEI the first time. So that would have been two years ago. And I said, you know, one of my clients would sit down and, and have a blank piece of paper and look at the person and say, who are your close, who are your three closest work associates and wait until they gave an answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. I can tell you who your free three closest freaking work associates are by, by looking on, on social media. So uh, does that answer that, Julie? That's that's how. I mean, every person who comes in, I could ask them for a directed referral with using that person's name and the last thing that they talked about with you on right. social media. Right. So we can get a lot more. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, that <clears throat> I think that's the perfect way to encapsulate how all of this stuff wraps in together is it combines listening with the intimacy of social media. And, you know, Matt, like you were just saying, as, as you know, I'm a huge opponent of, of that, you know, who do you know question, but asking for introductions is totally cool. And mm -hmm. there, th that's a great example of how, and there are so many other great ways of, of figuring out how to ask for specific introductions, leveraging social media. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a great one to start mm -hmm. out with. So, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to do this because, you know, this is a great conversation. There's so much more I think we could dig into, but we are at about at our time. And I think that's a really good way of tying all those things together. Um, you know, Matt, if, if people want to find out more about about what you do or, or, or your wise advice and stuff, where, where can they find you or what, what would they, you suggest that they look at to, um, to pick up more of those tips? Uh, I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. So link, LinkedIn, uh, just type in Matthew Halloran. Uh, you know, that's going to come up. And then uh, and then topadvisormarketing.com is our website. I, I wanted to thank both of you. Julie, I, I, I told you this when you were on our podcast. You, you've been a hero of mine in this industry. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for all of the great work that you've done for advisors. And Stephen, you know what? With with how you woke people up with, with how not to ask for referrals, but ask for introductions, I want to thank both of you for the work you've done because um, it sure made my life a lot easier as a, as a coach. And also just, you know, every, anybody who's really trying to help advisors out in the right way, using the right motivation, which both of you are, I just want to thank you for that. Oh, that's very kind. And, and I'm just so excited to see the work that you're doing now. It's just, it's, it's absolutely great. And we'll make sure we've got the podcast list, you know, links in there because, you know, the episode that I was on aside, they are awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 a, it's a great podcast, and and you do such great stuff. So, <clears throat> so thank you for the work you do, and and thank you so much for joining us here on Becoming Referrable. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. 
You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.